comes up Driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's the lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day that I die I said 18 wheels rolling on the road It is my life 18 wheels rolling on the road It is my life Hello, friends. This is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, along with my partner, Fred Mooney. I'm excited to be here. We have got a great program for you today. Gary, today we're riding in this brand new truck, and we're going to pick up some listeners and bring Jesus to these drivers on the road for some great music, awesome testimonies, and a little preaching. What we want you to do is give us a call at 618-383-2107 or log on to lonesomeroad.org. So buckle up. Hang on. Get ready. Because we're going to have Church on the Road. 414, a big blue mag. Now it don't matter where I'm going. I just got to drive. I have the white line fever to the day. Hey friends, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministry, and we've got a great program for you today. We're going to take a ride in the cab with uh, Cliff Clark, my partner Fred Mooney. Hey, I'm happy to be here. And uh, we got a great guest today. Cliff, you brought one of your best friends. Yeah, I've actually got one. <laughs> you got a best friend? Tell yeah. us about your best friend. Yeah, uh, this is Brother Carl Cracko. Uh, he is one of the most awesome, awesome, awesome guys I know. He loves uh, truckers. He loves bikers. Uh, Carl is with Road Riders for Jesus, and I'll let him tell you more about that. Yeah, Road Riders for Jesus, Carl Crackle, and he can sing, too. Let's listen to this song by Carl Crackle, We Will Ride. He has fire in his eyes. Sword in his hand, and he's riding a white horse across this land, and he's calling out to you and me, Will you ride with me? Will you ride with me? And we'll say, Yes, Lord, we'll ride with you. 
has fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand and he's riding a white horse across this land and he's calling out to you and me will you ride with me will you ride with me and we'll say yes Lord yes we'll ride with you we'll say yes Lord we will stand up and ride this land and he's calling out to you and me will you ride with me will you ride with me we say yes Lord we'll ride with you we say yes Lord
Lord says, will you ride with me? He's calling out to you right now. Will you ride with me? And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So tell us about this song, uh, Carl. Well, many years ago, we've decided to have a national rally uh, to bring our members together to try to encourage them, give them some training. Um, we decided to put together some kind of a theme song, and I ran across this particular song, We Will Ride, and uh, there are several different versions out there. And I come across this one version, and uh, I talked to one of the guys on my staff. He got it set up. We bought the rights to use the music, rented a studio, and we went and I recorded this particular song so that our members could have this to take back. If they have a biking event, they have a chapter get-together, a biker Sunday, whatever, we've set the song up so that they can either sing along with me or it just plays the music and has the words for them to sing with it. So Awesome, awesome. I guess we better back up a little bit and find out who Carl Crackle is. Well, uh, Carl Crackle is a biker. <laughs> I've been riding motorcycles since I was about 12 years old. My dad put me on my first street bike, and I kind of progressed in from riding street bikes. I used to do some flat track racing and some other racing, and I had a, a dealership sponsor for, for a while when I was a young man and uh, really loved motorcycles. My dad had his gang that he rode with, and I hung around with them a little bit, and uh but my dad was a rough guy. He was, uh, uh, well, I don't know any other way to put it other than the fact that he was a very abusive alcoholic. And uh, he raised my brother and I very, very rough. We were known as uh, the bad boys that would always fight where we grew up. And uh, I moved out from my parents' home. When I was 17 years old, I worked full-time nights in a steel plant to finish up high school. I never got into... People ask me this quite a bit. Did you ever get into drugs and alcohol? I didn't get into drugs and alcohol for one main reason. I had so many people after me, I was afraid that if I wasn't in my right mind, they would catch me in that state and I'd take a beating. So I always tried to stay in my right mind and uh, stay sober and stayed away from drugs. Had a lot of friends that got into those things. Uh, I saw also how it destroyed their lives, and I didn't want a part of that. And then uh, at the age of 19... Um, I was actually standing outside of a, the house of a guy that I was contemplating what I was going to do to him when he came out. And uh, probably everything up to the point of killing him. And as I was standing there, a young minister who was going door to door, knocking on doors to meet people and asking them to come to church, saw me standing there, came over and talked to me. And he and I left from that scene and went had a cup of coffee together. He invited me to go to church, and I agreed to do so because my life was a mess at that time, and I was just looking for something else. 
And uh, so I went to church, and I think I went to church about six weeks, and God got a hold of my heart, and I got saved. And uh, then it, my walk with Christ progressed from there. It wasn't an easy road. Um, I had some difficult times. I, a gal that I was engaged to passed away on Christmas morning. That was devastating. Um, short time after that, I became homeless. Had it not been for some people at that church where I went that helped me out, I'd, I'd really had a struggle. I found out what good Christian people are really like. Things progressed from there. I got involved in a youth ministry and was involved with that for 20 years. And, and during that 20-year period, uh, I had met my wife, Sally, and we celebrate. Tomorrow, we're celebrating 45 years a great wow. marriage. I, I live in Hillsboro, Missouri. It's a little farming community, yeah. and I live outside of the little town. My house is surrounded by woods just the way I like it. It's very <laughs> quiet and serene. But my wife encouraged me uh, to go to college, so I went to college. I did some ministerial studies out of Evangel College in Springfield, and I wound up getting a degree in journalism and photography. And I'll tell you, to be honest with you, when I walked out with that degree, I was looking at myself and going, Why? What's it for? Because I wound up going back into working in a steel plant. But I got to share my testimony as a Christian many, many times working with the people I worked in. In fact, when I got saved, I got saved on a Sunday. On that Monday, people noticed a a dramatic change in Carl. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, for three days, God had me walking beside myself and saying, you need to change this, you need to change that, you need to change this, and we're going to change this. And uh, it just it went from there, and people noticed the dramatic change in me. I cleaned up my mouth <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, acted, acted a lot different. I didn't trust people because of the way that I was raised, and I found that you can love people. Yes, you can. And uh, God had to change my heart to start with. And he taught me how to love people. And I didn't like being around people, but God taught me to not just like people, but to love people. And my time that I spent in the youth ministry, uh, part of my responsibilities, I was on the Missouri staff, and then I worked with the national staff, and I taught leadership training courses. And I actually got to write some leadership training programs, and I got to do a lot of that, and and that uh, taught me about developing people as leaders. You know, uh, there's an old saying that, uh, he who's out taking a walk and nobody following, he's not leading. He's just taking a walk. He's just taking a walk. So yeah. if you're going to be out there leading, you've got to have people following you that you can grow and develop as uh, leaders. And that is a lot of what we are doing in the Road Riders for Jesus motorcycle ministry. And a lot of the things that I learned in those years that I didn't understand, God is using now in this ministry. And so I went from that. And I was in that for about 20 years. And then I wound up leaving that ministry, and I started riding with another motorcycle ministry. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to me how God works because I never sought any kind of a position or a leadership role. But God always seemed to put me in and have me connect with people that I would learn from. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about riding motorcycles in a ministry and how to do motorcycle ministry uh, back in that time. During the time that I was in the assemblies, I know you kind of look at me and you probably look at the tag on my vest and it says cowboy. That's how I'm known in the motorcycle world. And uh, you see I wear a big handlebar mustache. And uh, I was blessed to have an old cowboy who became a Christian mentor to me. His name was Fred Deaver. He lived in Kansas. Great, great uh, artist. 
and a great Christian man. And I remember for years and years and years, I would be with Fred usually at a meeting or something, and I would hear Fred always pray, God, give me souls or I'll die. He wanted souls. He was never happy with just a handful of people. He wanted to reach a lot of people for Jesus. And uh, that always was a great impression upon me. Um, I was very devastated when Fred passed away. Yeah. About uh, And that was about five years ago. I went out. The family called me, and Fred had passed away. And they asked me to participate in his funeral. And I was coming back from Kansas, and I was quite upset losing such a good man. But But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, now it is your turn to start mentoring people. And so I'm very thankful that God is opening that door for me. And I know I'm talking a lot here, so you, you oh, guys no, have any questions good. you want to ask all, me? I really appreciate you saying that the main thing was souls for Jesus. And that's what Lonesome Road Ministry is all about, yeah. is, is winning souls. And um, One of the things we say here is we're not teachers, we're not preachers, but we're reachers. That's good. We're reaching people for Jesus. Yes. And we're doing it through a lot of personal testimonies, and that's why we like to have people like you come in and give your personal testimony because uh, you can't argue with somebody's testimony. It's what happened to you. That's right. It's what happened to them. It's a personal thing, and we encourage people to always be out there sharing what Jesus has done for them. We, we go by this. We like to reach them, teach them. And keep them for Christ. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's important. And we just started a new evangelist training program in our ministry this year. And we are uh, trying to get people comfortable and confident in sharing their testimony and reaching out to people that they don't know. And uh, they when they do this, we put them through this training. We, we make them... Uh, sit down and, and apply some practical application to this. Then they have to go out with somebody who kind of oversees what they're doing, and they've got to get out there and do this. And it's been a blessing this year. We've trained over 200 people in our ministry, but it's been a blessing to watch them go out into different communities. And, you know, I walked in. We, d- we did it down at Arkansas, and I walked down to the town square with my wife to have lunch, and everywhere I'm looking, I'm seeing – Road Riders for Jesus, I see that back patch, and I see people witnessing to others and praying for people on the street. And then they, they bring them back and introduce them to us because they got saved. And you know that, that's what it's all about. I think the amazing thing is, just from looking at you and your presence, you could probably go out at a street festival and talk to people, and people would listen to you more than they would to me, or an average-looking Joe. You know, in your yearbook, you, they put your picture, and they say a little bit something about it. Mine under my yearbook said Rebel on a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. And they knew that's what I was at when I was in, in high school. Now they refer to me as their class pastor. So they know that God has made a real dramatic change in my life. I love people. Nobody's a stranger to me. Uh, and, and, yes, I do get that a lot. Um, and I... Everywhere I go, I wear this back patch because it's got the name of Jesus on there, and that catches people's eye. And you know what it tells people, no matter where I'm at, they know who who I am, who I ride for, and what I represent. And I, I have people approach me quite often because of that. And I've led many outlaw bikers to Jesus. We, Our ministry has been able to help a lot of them to get out of that lifestyle and uh, we've got people that are trained to negotiate the release from an outlaw club. 
So you don't need that. Uh, what you need, first of all, is you need the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You get the Holy Spirit, and, you know, I, the bikers know me. They accept me as a biker. I'm going to tell you right now, just like you guys could probably pick out a guy that's a new trucker real quick. <laughs> well, the biking community can do the same thing. They know if you're uh, a poser or a wannabe, mm-hmm. uh, and you, so you don't want to try to go and be something that you're not. And I, and I say this all the time. Uh, there, there's a thing that was put out by the American Motorcyclists Association back, I believe it was 1942. They were trying to uh, promote motorcycling as a family activity. And they wrote an article, and in the article they made this statement that only 1% of those on a motorcycle are the outlaws, the ones that want to break the law, those that want to get wild, tear up the towns, only 1%. The other 99% are good people who just ride a motorcycle. Well, the outlaws took that on as a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. And you'll see a lot of them wear a little diamond-shaped patch that says one percenter. But my point is this. Don't forget about that 99% that's out there. And there's so many that do. And uh, they need Jesus, too, especially in the days that we're living in today. Uh, There's all kinds of opportunities. I, myself, I actually... um, I have three different brands of motorcycles right now, and it depends on where I'm going and to what kind of an event determines what bike I ride. And I'm going to tell you, there are certain times where you don't ride anything but a Harley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. That's right. But I've got a Honda Goldwing, and I've got a Triumph Adventure Bike, and uh, the Adventure Bike gets me into... A, a little bit of a younger crowd than what, mm-hmm. what I am, and it uh, gives me an opportunity to minister to them. And I see Cliff's just wanting to say something, so say how something. Many, how many, with all the motorcycles and all them years, how many miles have you actually ridden? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a goal that most motorcyclists try to reach, and that is how many miles can you ride what they call safe miles, no accidents, no tickets, and I actually have 1.1 million miles of safe riding, no tickets. I have ridden throughout the lower 48 United States many, many, many times. I've ridden through all the Canadian provinces, a little bit of Mexico, several countries over in Europe. And uh, so Let I'm me just, tell you, and I, I used to own motorcycles, so I know where you're coming from. A million miles on a motorcycle, that's about like 10 million miles in a truck, <laughs> at least. Yeah, it's, it can be a struggle because you can't move around in the saddle as much as you can in the seat of that truck. Mm. But I, I understand some of those trucks are a little tough to put a lot of miles in. Yeah. And a lot of motorcycles are the same way. Uh, I've got my motorcycles all set up so that I can handle a lot of long miles. I bought a new motorcycle, and uh, my wife and I decided we were going to ride out to California and back. And so we did. We rode out there, and we rode around through the west quite a bit came back and the last night we stayed in arkansas and i said to my wife look we've been riding interstates i want to ride some back roads and i love windy twisty hilly roads and uh, so we were coming through a road that goes through the national forest there in missouri and uh, i started down this long steep hill and i'm i'm running pretty fast i mean i'm i'm scraping my pegs on some of the turns and there's a sharp right hand turn down at the bottom halfway down that turn or down that hill the bike stops now when you travel out west and you guys have been out there you know what they say alongside the interstate open range 
Why? Because livestock could be on the road. Okay. Well, we don't have those kind of signs in Missouri. But I came down that steep hill. The bike quit running. I squeezed in the clutch, put it in neutral so it would go as far coast as far as it would go. When I came around that turn, there was about 25 head of cattle standing in the road, blocking mm. the road. Had I been riding the way that I had been riding aggressively, we'd have plowed right into them. Oh, yeah. So I, I stopped the bike, got off, and we saw where they broke through the fence, got them back inside the fence, blocked it back up, came back over, and I thought, here we are. And that was, that was before we had cell phones, by the way. So here we are out in the middle of nowhere, hadn't seen anybody for hours. I thought, now what am I going to do? So I went over to try to figure out what was wrong with the bike, turned the ignition on, hit the starter button, and boom, fired right up, <laughs> and we went home. Now, you can say what you want. I believe in the divine intervention of my God who cares for me and loves me so much that he does those kind of things for me and watches over me. So. Exactly. The next question you get asked is, what's your longest day? Well, my longest day was from Fort Myers, Florida, back to my house in one day, 1,325 miles Wow! on the hottest day of the year. <laughs> and I had to get back because a friend of mine, his son got killed, and he wanted me to come back and do the funeral. So wow. we made a beeline to come back. But, yeah, it's uh, writing is, well, I've always said to my wife, I believe God knew exactly what he was going to have me do, so he built me to ride. So I, I can put a lot of miles on in the saddle. That's just, that is amazing, really. If, if I rode that, they would have to. Unpry my hands off the grips and, and Well, and here's yeah. the other thing. I don't think you can name any kind of weather that I haven't had to ride in, mm-hmm. including snow. My wife and I were up in uh, Canmore, Alberta, Canada, quite a ways north of the border, and we rented a little cabin. We came out the morning. We had to, to leave, come home. We had uh, six inches of fresh snow on the road. So I had her on the bike behind me and pulling a little trailer and Trying to make my way through six inches of snow. Uh, that was a white knuckle ride for sure. Last time I had a motorcycle, it was a Honda Aspen K Gold Wing with every, every toy you could get on that thing. And I rode with a bunch of guys out of church, and we would ride from restaurant to restaurant. There, there is a lot of that in the biking community, and there's nothing wrong with that. Anywhere that I go, uh, stop at a truck stop. And people want to see the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, led a lot of people to Jesus just because I had my motorcycle parked at a truck stop. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a witnessing tool. Well, that's what we pray about. My, my <laughs> prayer before I leave every morning when I get up, before I leave, and especially before I throw a leg over that saddle, is uh, God prepare me for those divine appointments and send to me uh, people that need to hear about Jesus. You make their hearts open and ready. And you make me open and ready so that I say the right thing that they need to hear at that time. And God does not fail. He knows. And it, I, it, there's hundreds of stories of how that you, you get off somewhere where you didn't plan on getting off, but God had an appointment there for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, those are always amazing to me. This, this past March, I was going down to a Daytona Bike Week. I guess you've heard of Daytona Bike Week down in Florida. They have hundreds of thousands of oh, bikers yeah. that come, and it's in March. So leaving from Hillsboro in March uh, was quite a cold endeavor. And then on top of that, it started dumping a lot of rain. Yeah. So when I got down to uh, close to Jackson, Mississippi, I decided to pull into a gas station, gas up the bike, drink a cup of coffee, 
And uh, uh, this lady came out. She wanted to look at the bike. And I said, sure. And she said to me, she said, I used to ride with my husband many, many miles. And she said, this brings back a lot of great memories. And she was kind of walking around the bike and asking asking about things. And then she saw on my windshield the, the sticker that says, Road Riders for Jesus. And she said, tell me about Jesus. And we stood there for an hour. I answered her questions, told her about Jesus. And it was just so amazing because I had looked down and was thinking about what I was going to share with her, and I looked up, and she had tears rolling down her face. And she says, I want that right here and now. And so she gave her heart to Jesus, prayed the sinner's prayer, and left out of there. Her name was Jamie, and that's all that I can remember about her. But I know that God did a great work in her life that day. And and those those times are what the travels are all about for me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Amen. Amen. Whether I go into a restaurant or a gas station or even uh, when I was down in Florida, I walked down into the lobby and uh, I woke up, was really hungry. So I went down to the lobby just to get a snack. And the young man who was the manager of that motel was a fairly new Christian. And we got engaged in a conversation and we sat there for about three hours talking about the Bible, God's word how great Jesus is and what he does for us. I mean, I, I just love those times. Amen. We do, we do a once-a-year uh, benefit ride to help support our ministry. We don't have a lot of expenses, but just just like any ministry, it takes a certain amount of money. So we do what we call the Sunrise Ride, and it's S-O-N. And we try to – when I started it, I wanted to do it early in the morning to watch the sun come up. You know you can't get bikers up that early. <laughs> Amen. That, that's, that's mission impossible. But – as we began to grow and spread, we first began to uh, develop more ch- chapters in the state of Illinois. And so we talked about that we would want to go somewhere and meet, have a time of prayer, and uh, then go out and have a meal together. So we decided we would try going to the Effingham Cross. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that's where I first met Cliff. He yeah, came I think over there. Because so you think. were kind of connected with uh, the, the uh, Mount Vernon. Yeah. So uh, that's where Cliff and I met. We've had Cliff come and speak at a lot of our national rallies. Where's we, that, where is that national rally? The national rally next year uh, is going to be in Branson, Missouri, October the 8th through the 12th at the Stone Castle. Uh, they give us a great, great deal. Their normal um, nightly rate is about $150 a night. Uh, they give it to us for uh, $79 a night, and that includes a buffet breakfast, and the place is just fantastic. And we get to use their big conference room, and we just have a have a great time. Now, what's them dates again? It's October the eighth through the twelfth of twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three, yeah. And it's uh, we have things that we do list and post on our website, which is uh, roadridersforjesus.org. I'll say that again a little bit slower: roadridersforjesus.org. And you can look at our website, and we post a lot of information on there about things that are going on throughout the year and about our state rallies and the national rally. Yeah, well, let's talk about Road Riders for Jesus. Uh, how did that get established? I, I think you're the president. Is that right? Well, I don't use that term president. I, I'm the international director. And, and there's a reason for that. I wanted to place more importance upon our chapters and so we have our chapter officers use that title okay as president i wanted more emphasis to be placed upon them because without our chapter members without uh our state staff and our national staff they don't need me 
Yeah. You know, I need them more than they need me. Amen. So uh, it got started because I, I myself and a couple other couples rode with another ministry, and they wanted to do something there that was kind of stationed where we were at locally. They approached me about it, and I kept saying no. To be honest with you, God was dealing with me about that, and I kept telling God no. And here's kind of a, the, the story of how this happened. For three weeks, every night, I'd go to bed, and God wouldn't let me sleep. He kept showing me the faces of all these lost bikers, and the message would always be, you can do something about it. And I kept saying no because I knew that there was a lot of responsibility. I would be encountering things that I did not know about, trying to get set up with IRS and 501c3, trying to get incorporation and trying to do all that. I really did not want to go and be a part of that. But God kept dealing with me. And on that third Sunday, I'm, you guys been in church where you just felt like the pastor was just firing right at you with the message? Well, that day I sat there and I thought, he's firing right at me. I went home. I was exhausted. My house is about 80 feet long. And I told my wife, I'm going to go lay down. And she was going to the other end of the house. And so I laid down on the bed and I audibly heard, Carl. So I got up and I walked all the way back and I said, what do you want? She says, I didn't call you. I said, yeah, don't mess with me. You know, I'm tired. So I went back and I laid down. And when I laid down on the bed, I heard again, Carl. And now this is where it's good to have a good spiritual wife yes because i went back and i said to her again i said did you call me this time she said no but i think god's trying to get your attention so i went back and as i laid down the third time i heard my name being called and i got up and i knelt by the side of the bed and i said okay god i give and i said i make this promise i'll do what you want me to do i'll go wherever you want me to go and i'll speak when you want me to speak but you have to help me do all these things because there's things that I don't know how to do. And, you know, from that point on, uh, God did some great things. He put people in my path. A as an example, we struggled with trying to get our 501c3 with the IRS. That was a, it was a battle. It was that, constant. That's, that's a real problem today. Well, and every time I would f f fill out their forms and send them in, they would reject it. So uh, as I was struggling with that, I, I met with uh, – I met with one of our chapters, a new chapters up in uh, St. Charles, Missouri, and uh, I was sitting there, and they were asking me, how's things going? I said, man, this is a, this is a battle. I said, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. And they said, well, you need to talk to Beverly. I said, who's Beverly? Well, she's one of your members here in the St. Charles chapter, and she works for the IRS. <laughs> so I called her, and turns out she was head of 501c3 for the IRS in the state of Missouri. <laughs> She said, send me the forms, and I'll get it put through. And uh, I love it when God sets everything up for you. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and then when we first started, I had uh, uh, two fellows that were both pastors of churches and both artists. And I said to them, I said, if we're going to do this, we've got to have something, a logo that's going to represent who we are. And I said, why don't you guys pray about it, draw up something, and then let's Let's compare it. We had about, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 members at the time. And so we went for about two or three months, and every time we'd get together, I'd ask, you guys got anything, any ideas? No, no, no. So I, I finally told my wife, I said, God's been giving me this 
vision of the logo and I'm going to just draw it out, color it in and take it and see what everybody thinks. So I had it all on a big piece of paper, had it all drawn out, colored into the colors that I thought it ought to be. And I brought it there. And the one guy who's an artist says, did I send mine to you? And his wife said, no, it's still laying on your desk. And then the other guy says, well, I sent mine to you. And his wife said, no, it's still hanging on the refrigerator. The, the amazing thing was we had never talked about it, never shared ideas. All three of us drew the same thing. Wow. So we knew that that was that's amazing. What God wanted. That's in one mind and one accord. Yes, sir. Carl and I, uh, you keep talking about a chapter. For those folks that don't know, what in the world is a chapter? Okay. Uh, at this point in time in this ministry, we are in several states across the U.S., and we're in nine other countries outside of the U.S., and when we have a group of people, that writers that want to uh, come together, we, we ask them to come and form a chapter. Uh, and what this is, is it's, it's a group of people all pretty much located in the same area. We ask them to come together and start off by having at least what we would call a business meeting once a month where they could share ideas. And we sort of have a format that we ask them to uh, go by, such as we want them to have somebody who would be the chaplain and share a nice devotion. We want to make sure that um, as a group that they are sharing prayer requests. And then they can talk about ministry endeavors that they can do as a chapter, rides that they can do. And we encourage them to have the fun rides, the dinner rides, and do the ministry opportunities. And In fact, my, my feelings on this, anytime I get on that bike, is a ministry opportunity. No matter where I go, it's a ministry opportunity. So you have a group of people that come together and they form a chapter, and they uh, then, once they do six months, they sort of meet their probationary period. Then we, we charter them, make a big thing out of it, and they're called together. And then they, they will be assigned a chapter number, and they're known by their chapter number and their location of where they're at. And uh, we don't have chapters everywhere that we have members, but we have, at this point in time, I think we have like 132 charter chapters within the ministry. Wow. So how, how do you become a member of the Road Riders for Jesus? Our, we have a bottom line requirement. Yeah. And our bottom line requirement is this. You must be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ according to Romans 10, 9, and 10. Amen. Now, we don't do anything beyond that, and there's a reason for that. In the outlaw world, to become an outlaw and to join a club, you have to be a prospect. And you're a probationary member, and that may take a year, sometimes a year and a half, two years, before you become a full-fledged member. During that time, uh, you were pretty much run through the ringer. Oh, and, yeah. and so the, we, we did not want that to be a part of our ministry because you can, can you imagine if somebody, they get saved, they come out of that, that outlaw motorcycle club, they want to still ride motorcycles, but now they want to ride with Christians. And then the first thing you're going to say, well, you can prospect with us. <laughs> Guess what they do? Yeah. They turn and leave. Yeah. So we don't have that. And, and I will tell you this. We've had times where we've had people that have come in that just haven't. They, they tell you that they are. We ask certain questions on their application that we want certain information. We want to know what church they attend. Uh, they have to actually check that they are a Christian, but they also have to sign and they are signing on that application that states they are Christian, 
and we've got the scriptures listed there. But we do have once in a while we will encounter somebody who just does not live up to being what they ought to be. Now, so what? How do we handle that? That's often asked. Yeah. Well, I believe we should always handle it with the opportunity to restore them and to bring them to that point. But if they don't, uh, if they refuse uh, to step away from what they're doing, that we know and they know is sinning against God and God's laws, then they will their membership will be removed. And we still don't like to cast them out because we have an accountability program for people like that. What we do then is we want to set them up with somebody that's a, an established member that will be their accountability partner. And everywhere they go with the ministry, they have to have their accountability partner with them just to help them and you know, there's that's a that's a great tool mm-hmm. when you're accountable to somebody else. I mean, Cliff knows that I make myself accountable to all my national staff and my state staff, and they do the same with me. I know uh, all the miles you've traveled and all this. You have to have some uh, powerful testimonies you could share with our listeners. Well, I want to I want to share one that sort of has a connection to uh, a biker named Bob. Uh, and when I was working as a plant manager, everybody that I've always been around knows my, where my stance is, that I'm a Christian, that I'm a minister. And one day, a young man who worked for me by the name of Scott came into my office, and he was crying. I said, Scott, what's wrong? He said, I just got a call from Casey, and Casey was his girlfriend. And he said, she just found out her dad got killed. And the story is like this. Scott and Casey were not married because Casey's dad spent most of his life in prison. He, when he got out of prison, uh, they were going to develop a father and daughter relationship because she wanted her dad to walk her down the aisle when she got married. So he had been out of prison about six months, and they were together almost every day. And Bob had taken a job on a construction crew, And when he was working on a project down in St. Louis, he and another guy that he worked with went into this bar and grill that's a hangout for an outlaw biker club. They went in there. There was no problem in there. Uh, But when they left, the guy that was with Bob tried to steal a helmet off of one of their motorcycles, and they saw it. They ran out there, and they grabbed the guy, and they started beating him without mercy. Bob stepped in to try to just help the guy, save the guy, and they turned on him then, and this guy ran off and left Bob. And they actually beat Bob to death and killed him. Oh, wow. So when Scott came in and he told me all that, uh, I told him, I said, well, let me take you home. And uh, I had only met Casey one other time, so I said, uh, I want to meet with her. And I said, I'd like to pray for her. So I took him home, and, of course, she's all in tears. She's very, very upset. And uh, so I said, come here. And I put my arm around both of them. I said, let me pray for you. And I prayed that God would give them strength and peace and somehow see some light in this dark time in their lives. So I left Scott. They had to go down and identify her, her dad's body. And when I went back to my office, the next day, Scott called me, said, Carl, the, the wake is going to be Thursday. The funeral is going to be Friday. I said, well, I can make the wake. I don't know if I can get away from the plant for Friday. He said, well, that's good because Casey said she won't go into the funeral home unless you're with her. I said, well, I'll be there. You tell me what time. So I arrived there, and she was standing out front of the funeral home waiting for me. And 
I guess she saw in me some compassion and love that I cared about her. She came up, grabbed me, and she was crying. And I walked her in, and we walked down to the casket, and she was just sobbing her eyes out. And what do you say? It's hard to find the right words uh, to, con to comfort somebody in that kind of situation. But I began to tell her about Jesus and how that he understands the grief. He understands the pain. And I said, you know, Jesus even wept when his friend passed away. And I said, I don't know what will come of all this. I said, but you can, you can believe that Jesus cares about you and loves you. And, you know, maybe there will be that uh, something that will happen that will show you that God is involved in this somehow. And she looked at me and she said, but Carl, I don't know where my daddy's at. I don't know if he went to heaven. I have no idea. I just don't know. So how can I expect to ever see my daddy again, even if I do what's right? So I said, well, let me pray for you before I go. And I prayed for her again that God would show her something that would encourage her heart. And here's what happened. The next day, when they went for the funeral, uh, they didn't know any preachers. They, they went to a little church down the road from where they lived, asked that pastor if he would come and do the funeral service, and he agreed to do so. And so when he came in and it was time to start the funeral service, before he started, he said, Casey, before I preach your daddy's funeral today, I want to share something with you. And he walked over and he opened his Bible to a certain place. And he said, I want you to look at that Bible and look at those pages. You're going to see stains on those pages. He said, those, those are your daddy's tear stains. He came into my church last week and knelt at the altar and gave his heart to Jesus. And he sobbed those tears of repentance and forgiveness. So here's the promise that God is giving you today. You keep Jesus in your heart and life, and you will see your daddy again. Oh, wow. What an amazing story. That is awesome. awesome. Just an amazing story. That's for somebody listening right now. Yes. So just remember that no matter where you're at in this world or what state you may think you're in, you may think that God doesn't care, but God loves you, and God is watching over you. He just wants you to come and accept his son. Wow. I just want to share one other one that uh, – uh, there was an old biker. I went to I went to a biker blessing, and this is where uh, they will have bikers come in, and they will ask for a minister or a priest to uh, bless their bike. We we do those, but we want to take advantage of that opportunity to pray for the biker as well as the bike. And uh, so I decided to go to this big one that some of my friends were going to. And when I got there, I noticed this one old biker sitting over by himself and nobody ever went over and sat with him never talked to him and so i decided i was going to go over and find out who this guy was he was a little bitty guy turns out he was a he's a veteran his name was larry and uh he had a rough life he'd spent time in prison uh his wife had been dead for several years and uh, to be honest with you i could uh, when i got to talking to him, I can understand why he was a little hard to be around. His hygiene wasn't all the best, but, you know, uh, I just felt like I needed to just get beyond all of that because he's somebody that Jesus loves. And so Larry and I became friends. And when, when I started the ministry of the Road Riders for Jesus, Larry had been going to church with my wife and I, 
and he wanted to be a part of this, and we certainly invited him to be a part of this. And about the third or fourth month uh, that we were meeting to, to get, get established, uh, he, along with some other of the writers, were at my house, and the first box of our back patches came in. Larry just, he had to have one, and he pretty much begged my wife to get the sewing machine out and sew it on for him, and she did. So Larry, uh, that crusty old biker, was the very first one to ever wear our back patch riding his bike down the road. Now, the interesting thing that happened the week after that is he was riding with another one of our members named Ronnie, and they were riding on the state highway out there by us, and they came upon this pickup truck that was going kind of slow. So they passed him, and as they passed him and pulled in front of him, the biker, uh, the, the guy in the pickup truck saw these two bikers, and he saw that back patch, and he called me. He said, I want to tell you what happened. He said, my life just completely fell apart. My wife had left me and divorced me. I lost my job. I was losing my home. My whole world was falling apart. And he said, I was in my pickup truck driving down this state road looking for a place to pull in and shoot myself. And he said, two of your guys passed me and pulled in front of me. And when they did, he said, I saw that name Jesus on that back patch. And he said, that was like a neon sign. And he said, immediately, it reminded me of what my grandmother used to say, that no matter what goes on in your life, Jesus has an answer, and Jesus is the answer. He said, so I thought, is he really? And he said, I turned and went down this other road and right away came upon this little country church. I pulled into the lot and thought, surely there's nobody here. He said, but I knocked on the door and the pastor was there. And I went in, sat down, talked with him, and he said, that day, you guys saved my life. Because I gave my heart to Jesus, and he turned things around for me. And he said, I just wanted you to know, just because you were wearing that name on the back of your vest, it saved my life. So God can use just about anything and everything that we have to reach out to people if we'll just let him do that. Praise the Lord. When we lift up the name of Jesus, Amen. he draws all men unto him. Well, eventually, and I, this is wonderful, but eventually... Let's say there's a driver listening to you or a biker. How do I become a Christian anyway? Well, you become a, a Christian by um, accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. There's that uh, you need to have that time of recognizing that you are a sinner and that you're lost and that you need Jesus in your life. The Bible gives us a lot of scriptures. We often use the scriptures out of Romans and uh, that we put out there uh, on our website. You can look on there, and it gives you step-by-step step what you need to do. And becoming a Christian is not all that involved, as you know. Right. I mean, when we meet people out on the road, and they say to me, I want Jesus, that's probably, to me, that's one of the easiest things that you can do in your life. And one of the hardest things, because you're fighting against an enemy, doesn't want you to get saved. But it's confessing your sins and, and then confessing the fact that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God, that he came he lived, he suffered and died, but then he conquered death for each and every one of us. And that was his measure of love for each and every one of us. And he, he just wants us all to come to him. What did he say? He came to seek that which was lost. And uh, so, yeah, they need, people just need to get saved. And I will tell you this, that in our ministry, um, we get people that are at all levels of their walk with Christ. And I've always viewed that as an opportunity 
uh, to help people to grow. And that's one of the reasons why we have like our evangelist training program. Cliff, you look like you need to say something there, buddy. Go ahead. I just want you to know that I love the Lord and the fact that all we have to do is ask him. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, we never like to close any program without offering the, our listeners a chance to pray and ask Jesus into their heart. So would you lead them in a sinner's prayer? I will. Join with me right now, if you will. I promise you Jesus is there right now listening. And just call out to him, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I confess unto you that I've been a bad person, that I've done many things wrong in my life. But I believe in your word, and I believe that Jesus can forgive me. So I accept your forgiveness right now for the sins in my life. I ask you, Jesus, to become the Savior of my life. I ask you to fill my heart with your presence. I thank you because you are the Son of God who came, who lived, who died, and yet conquered death just for me. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I accept your forgiveness, and I accept your salvation that you provided for me. And I want to give you all the glory with my life for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Hello, Jesus. Yes, it's really me. After all the wrong I've done, Lord I guess you're surprised to see me Here at your altar Like a beggar on bended knees Who's come here to beg you, oh Lord Please, please forgive me can't make it without you, Jesus. Yes, I finally see. So let me surrender my life to you. And Jesus, Jesus, please forgive me. I've learned the truth about Satan's so-called good life. Oh, it was just a candle. It was just a candle. Too short to burn through the night. Now I'm here in the darkness and I come to you and plead. Oh, light my life, oh, light my life, and Jesus, please forgive me, oh, please forgive me, I can't make it without you, Jesus, yes, I finally see, so let me confess my sins, and Give me eternal life And Jesus, please, please 
Okay, let's say that I'm riding in this truck or I'm riding on this bike and I hear that and I give my life to the Lord. I accept him as Savior. What do I do then? Well, what I would what I would recommend, and we recommend this a lot, that they try to make a connection with a good church, and that that's the first thing they need to do. Get into a church where you can be fed, where you can grow. Get a Bible if you don't have one. Get a Bible and start reading. And I would suggest start with Matthew. Start with the four uh, Gospels to learn about who this Jesus is that you've just asked into your heart and life. And the third thing you need to do is tell other people. Mm-hmm. Share that testimony because that's yours that's your individual testimony of what god has done for you man i've been honored to be here today i tell you it's been really good really good Uh, we appreciate uh you coming all the way from hillsboro missouri hillsboro missouri over here to lonesome road ministry to uh, do this interview with us and uh, it's been an honor and a privilege we want to work with you and road riders for jesus to reach Whosoever, whosoever, whenever, and however. Well, for anybody listening out there today that uh, are listening in the future to this, I, I hope that uh, something that was said today uh, spoke to your heart and your life. Uh, there's no greater thing that I've done. I've done a lot of tough things in my life. I've, I've been a rugged rugged type of individual. Um, I've done a lot of things that come to the outdoors. Just about anything you can think about doing in the outdoors. I've done it. I've parachuted. I've done the whitewater rafting. I've done rock climbing, mountain climbing. I've done all that stuff. But in all the things that I've done, nothing ever gave me as much enjoyment, satisfaction, and peace as when I accepted Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you again for allowing me to come and be here today. Well, it's been our pleasure. We're looking forward to working with all of the men and women of Road Riders for Jesus. Amen. We're tying Amen. ourselves together. Yes. You know, that's what that's what we talk about in this ministry is stretching a net across America. And it one person can't do it, but if we all work together, it's like it's like a snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get much out of one snowflake, but if you get enough snowflakes together, you can stop traffic. I, I like I, I like the idea of those uh, cards with the QR code on there that we can hand out because most of the time when we're traveling, the best place to stop is a truck stop. Amen. And we encounter a lot of truckers. There you go. And it, that's going to be a great tool to put into their hands. All right. And, uh, well, I'm excited about this too, Gary. <laughs> Thank you again for having me here. You bet. All right. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. Hey drivers, we appreciate you letting us ride along with you in the cab and you can contact us at 618-383-2107 or you can log on to our website at lonesomeroad.org and 
Check us out on the web. You can listen to all of our radio programs on our website on our broadcast from the past page. So check it out. And if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, then give us a call and let us know. Brokenhearted and lonesome, so long I've been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree. Shared the good news wherever I go. Yes, there's been a change. I'm not the man I used to be. And I tell everybody what's happened to me. How I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. But I called his name. This chance, could it be my last? Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree, and I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, brokenhearted and lonesome. So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree